Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, the third man, the person in the Trinity. God, we lean upon the Holy Spirit. I rely upon him this morning to um, breathe and open my eyes to the word and clarify my speech and my language. Uh, Lord, I trust in you and I trust in the helper, the Holy Spirit. And I ask that he would be present in this room, and God, that you would open ears to hear what the Spirit is saying through this message and through this series, and that you would give me the ability to communicate clearly what you're saying and to come off the pages and speak the now word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, one of the points that I want to clear up briefly, and I, what I mean, I, when I say briefly, I, I mean briefly. So, um, I was talking, uh, well, to go back even further, our kind of premiere, our kind of like, you know, uh, verse that we built off of last Sunday was Ephesians 5.14, a statement that Paul made to the Ephesians in the epistle uh, about essentially living as sons and not orphans as believers. And he summarized uh, chapter 5 by saying, awake O sleeper, arise from the dead that Christ may give you life. And that kind of led us to John chapter 5. Because actually, not word for word, but Paul, the apostle, was taking some things from John uh, John chapter 5, verse 25. Some words that Jesus made in that gospel, or in the chapter of John chapter 5. And we were led to kind of even go back further into the story, because... If you were here last Sunday, you understand that in John chapter 5, a lame man was healed. And it almost, well, the kind of vantage point that I was taking with that particular chapter was you almost saw vividly what the scripture was talking about in Ephesians chapter 5, 14, through this lame man, this paralyzed man, who had walked now after 38 years, and is this story that Jesus healed him. And so that led us all the way, and when I said briefly, and it's going to feel for some of you, if you weren't here last Sunday, like you're coming into the conversation midway, that's awkward. How many are, uh, do that? I'm just going to raise my hand, because I do that all the time, mainly because I think I always have something to say. But you can ask my wife, like, I think I just know what the conversation's all about. I'll come in and be like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's a great idea, and I think we ought to do this. And they're like, what do you, what do you, where are we're not talking about that, Daryl. And it's awkward. You get red in the face and high. So you're going to feel like you're coming into a conversation midway. And the only way to really clear that up and to feel like you're not is to go back to the message that was given here uh, last Sunday, January 24th, and listen to that message, and it will catch you up, and you'll feel just a little bit like you're part of the dialogue, okay? So anyways, we go back to the story of John chapter 5. Lame man is healed after 38 year, years, excuse me. And Jesus kind of disappears. He just kind of, whoop, kind of, whoop, I'll go over here, kind of disappear from what's going on. I'm sure there was commotion, all sorts of hubbub. There's a lot of religious people that were getting, you know, a little bit frantic, as they always did when Jesus did something or said something. And so you find that Jesus disappears, but then finds the man later, the man who got healed in the temple. And he said kind of startling words to Jesus. And I, I feel, uh, I just feel that we're to clear the air and just reiterate some things he says this in John chapter 5, 14 to this man. He says, now that you are well, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you, right? Wow. I mean, even reading those right now, it hits me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, whoa, Jesus, what do you mean? Because at first glance, 
Well, you could, you could interpret all sorts of things when it comes to this text. But, but I just want to clarify that Jesus is in no way suggesting that illness, uh, particularly in this man, was the result of some specific sin. But whatever the cause, it would not imply that all physical illness has a, sus- a specific excuse, excuse me, moral cause. And then I segued and I said, you know, amongst all theologians and biblical scholars, they believe that Jesus was warning the man of something far more worse than physical lameness, of which he had just been delivered from. And to sum up my thoughts towards the text, I would agree that Jesus was warning him of a moral lameness. Something that we find as Christians go on their journey in their faith, are somehow, some way prone to throughout the years. You know, I, I find it interestingly that Jesus and the apostles always seem to address people who were worldly. I use that term as the Bible uses it. People who are not professing Christians, believe in Jesus Christ. They used to, you see this thread that they, they commonly treated worldly people far different than they did people who had a relationship with Jesus or a faith or a religion for years. The, the conversation always seemed to be a little bit more hammering, you know? Uh, like, even Paul's words where, uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, it's clear if you study the text that Paul was addressing not worldly people, not newly saved people, but people who have been tracking with Jesus for some time. And there was a bit confusion. If you go on to read verses 1 through 14, you find that there was a little backsliding, if you would. You know, we use that word. I don't even know where it came from. Maybe it's a Carmen song. How many follow Carmen? Carmen, yeah. The only hope for America. I used to sing it, youth group guys. Come on. Some of you are looking at me like, oh man, he is old. <laughs> Listen, I like to have fun when I preach. It kind of eases sometimes the blows of God's truth. And so um, I just like to loosen you up. So don't look at me like I'm awkward. Don't perceive me as I'm awkward. I just, it's even for my own heart. I have to look at some of these words and be like, oh my God, would somebody laugh? Would somebody pop a joke? You know, because sometimes the scripture is weighty, isn't it? You know, the Bible says that the scripture is like a two-edged sword. I've never been confronted with a man with a sword, but I never want to. But if the Bible is like a two-edged sword, we have to understand that that Bible, according to the writer in Hebrews, is cutting, it's searing, it separates between what is true, what is God, and what is false. So, you know, sometimes we hear the scriptures much like this verse, and our heads start spinning like, Jesus, what, I am a sinner. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Go stop sinning or something worse will happen to me. Oh, this is... But again, we find that Jesus is talking about something far worse than just a physical lameness. That's, that's, that's eye-opening to me. That's eye-opening to me. I mean, what could be worse than not being able to walk or use your, your, your faculties for 38 years? <laughs> but yet to Jesus, he's saying, no, 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 no. Listen, there's something far worse than your uh, 38 years spent as a lame man. And that's the danger of becoming morally lame. To become asleep at the wheel, as uh, 
we could say. So I feel like I wanted to clear that up just briefly, touch upon it, because I surely as heck don't want anybody saying, yeah, Daryl, you know, if you get to pray for the sick, say, hey, you know, you're sick. Is there sin in your life? Not all sin is a direct result of, uh, not all illness is a direct result of sin. Um, and so in John chapter 25, this is something that I just want to use as a starting place, if you would, for our sermon today. Uh, it's the mess, it's uh, the, one of the verses that I uh, kind of ended with, sorry for saying ah so much, um, but it's the verse that I ended with uh, last Sunday, I just did it again, uh, John chapter 5, 25, I'm not going to apologize for saying ah, evidently I, I say it all the time, uh, John chapter 5, verse 25, uh, and these are, this is the particular verse that, G, that Paul uh, was referencing in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Awake, O sleeper, arise, that Christ may give you life. Arise from the dead, that Christ may give you life. Uh, again, it's not word for word. You know, he wasn't using word for word. And in John 5, 25, it says this, if we could read it. Let me just turn there quickly. John chapter 5, verse 25. Again, this will be kind of the starting point as we seg- segue into new verses, into new text uh, for today's sermon. And The Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 25, it says this, this is the words of Jesus. And I assure you that the time is coming, and indeed is here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. Now, I kind of briefly touched upon it because I didn't want to go over on my time last Sunday. I wanted to let you guys go. But um, I kind of want to just define some words here that Jesus is using in the Hebrew. Is that okay? Because the word dead actually has dual meaning. Uh, it definitely, and, and you can also see kind of those dual aspects, if, you could, if that's the right way to term it, in Jesus' statement here in verse 25. You can see that there's two kind of realities happening. There's two kind of things that he's addressing. You know, when he says, I assure you the time is coming. So it's coming. It's off in some distant future. And then he says, and indeed is here now. And so I just want to clarify some of those things and kind of use this as a platform to build the message upon today. Uh, again, the, the two meanings, well, one is called the proper meaning. I don't even know. I guess it's the proper way of using the word. Uh, it's simply this. It's one that has breathed his last breath, lifeless, deceased, departed, one whose soul is in heaven or hell, destitute of life, without life. And then it's metaphorical meaning, I think I said that right, is spiritually being dead. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus essentially is saying, I have the power to raise those who are in the grave, but I also have the power uh, to raise those who are spiritually dead. And in context to his statement in John 14, you see how that makes sense. Again, we see the vivid kind of picture and illustration of the story of the lame man in Jesus' words in his summary here in uh, 5 verse 25. And so, the metaphorical meaning is spiritually dead, destitute of life that recognizes and is devoted to God. Because, what? Of giving up to trespasses and sins. Inactive, respects to doing right. Destitute of force or power. Inactive. And so, again, looking at the dual kind of... uh, implications or understanding of Jesus' words in John 5, 25, we see that there are two kind of categories, if you would, that Jesus has the authority over. As for some of you, this is going over your head, but for most of us, this should give us great hope. (laughs) Because, you know, 
I don't know if you're the only one, but I constantly struggling, struggle trying to keep my heart alive and awaken to Jesus, to be current in my relationship with God rather than catching up all the time because of being lazy or disinterested or depressed. And so that would lead us uh, to the gospel of Matthew 25. Is everybody okay? Is, you're all right. I know I'm not the most handsomest guy on the face of the earth, but just give me a smile. I mean, just come on. Let me see your pearly whites. You don't want to see my pearly whites. They wrote a, they wrote a song after me. It's called Crooked Teeth. No, I'm just choking. It's just choking. It's okay, guys. I actually like the song, and I like the musician. I think it's significant to our generation, but um, speak something. Matthew 25, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Is everybody okay? All right. It's okay to smile. It's okay to laugh. I won't take it personal, actually. Love it. Uh, we're familiar with this parable. We're not starting right in the beginning of Matthew 25. We're actually going... Actually, we are. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. We are going to bring into frame, into focus, this parable and how it relates to our subject matter today. Um, Again, let's just read the first verse, and I, I, I kind of want to stop right at the first, first verse and get our minds and our gears thinking. Um, in Matthew 25, verse 1, Jesus starts off by saying, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids. Now, I stopped right there. I don't know. I never have when it comes to parables, but have you, have you come to realize that when Jesus starts a parable, he starts it like this, like the kingdom of God will be like, and I don't know, maybe you have stopped at one point of time and really gave attention and, and clear kind of focus, attention to those words. But I never have. I just said, like, whatever, the, the kingdom of God will be like. Well, you know, um, or in other translations would say, at the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Those are uh, the ways that other translation uh, would, would explain or kind of write out the words of Jesus. But I, I like to just park there for a little bit and hopefully, by the grace of God, uh, get, our, our, get, our, get our minds in our gears and our minds turning. Um, in order to really frame or to wrap some uh, flesh around the bones of where I'm trying to go, we would have to kind of backtrack, track, kind of like what you have to do with all Scripture. You know, you just can't take a Scripture... And we're notorious for it in the charismatic world. Just kind of take a scripture and make it into whatever we want it to be. And, you know, even the, the words of Jesus in, in, in John chapter 5, verse 14, it's so easy to be able to think, oh, yeah, let's take that. That could really convict a couple people. Boom, let's slam it. But you got kind of, you got to kind of be focused in your approach to interpreting the scripture. And so to understand Jesus' words, uh, if we could... In the first verse of uh, 25, we have to go back to 24 because, ironically enough, Jesus foretells those days in, in, in verse 24. So I, I do this to help us understand, hopefully, uh, what the days will look like or be when the kingdom of God is at hand. And so going back to verse 24... And again, we don't have all the time to just go into it, but essentially, Jesus in no way paints a rosy picture of these days. If you read the verse, I was getting, I, fear was filling my heart. I was like, what the? No way. This is crazy. And I've read 
Matthew 24 before, but I don't know if I just had a new kind of uh, pair of glasses on, new eyes, I don't know, to see some things. But it, it, is in, it, it is in no way a happy time. And Jesus doesn't mince his words in this chapter. He goes right to the heart of what these days are going to look like. And it all was struck up just by apostle, an apostle or one of his disciples saying, hey, Jesus, could you give us like some you know, inkling of what, uh, uh, some kind of sign of what we're to look for, what we're to look to when these days are coming upon us? And Jesus just goes right to the, right to the throat and says some pretty startling things and some pretty eye-opening things for us today. Um, and so with that being said, those are the days, or those are what the days will be like. In verse 1 of chapter 25 of Matthew, 24 gives us what those days will be like. And then Jesus, in this parable, you have to understand that both 24, 25 are really a series of teachings and parables to try to get the disciples to think about being watchful and alert. And it's funny that the next chapter in verse 26, you see them sleeping in Jesus' greatest hour of pressure. (laughs) And meanwhile, he gave these two chapters into warning what days will look like. And and all just the heart of these chapters are kind of surrounding around being watchful and alert. And then they fail miserably. Jesus says, you can't even watch with me for an hour? I mean, how many of us have been there? <laughs> Some of us can't even stay attentive and watchful and awake and alert in a 30-minute sermon. Nevertheless, one hour in prayer. We can relate. Ironically enough, this is kind of the, uh, the, 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 kind of like the storyline playing out before us. Jesus starts off by diving right into this question and answering it fully and pulls no cards, minces no words, puts us all out there, all with the idea to keep them watchful, goes on to even speak some parables in Matthew 24, goes on to start with a parable, Matthew 25, and the language and the story just goes on all the way to 26 where they fall asleep. And the greatest hour when Jesus tells them, will you, will you watch with me? Will you watch with me? Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't leave these disciples in the dark. He gave them two chapters of teachings. (laughs) You you would think that after these two chapters, and actually the Messiah now asking them to stand and watch with him, that they would have. Isn't that so telling of the church today? How many messages do we have? How many songs do we sing that really never capture us where our lives attest to that music or our lives kind of respond to that message. It's so telling of the church to just hear words and maybe even get a couple goosebumps and and, and start with maybe even the, the smallest desire of wanting to go hard after God and, and doff and, and, and kind of break free from laziness and slumber. But yet, over the course of time, no matter how many good sermons, parables, teachings we get, it doesn't really make the difference. 
You know, we always think that, that there's a better, there's something better, there's, there's a better use of our time than just praying. You know, I, I said this statement one time in the prayer room, and, and, and I, I was floored by it. But, but we were praying, I think it was fresh, uh, we were fresh, uh, or f- just kind of caught up with what was happening with, in France. Sorry, I'm, tr- I'm trying, this is not in my message or in my notes, so I'm trying to just wrap my mind around in the present moment. But we were just, France had just happened with the shootings and the, 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 the slaughter through uh, terrorism, uh, and, and we, we spent that whole Saturday praying. Uh, for France and praying that the Lord would arise and he would heal and that he would uh, use this opportunity for the advancement of the gospel. We're just going after it. And, and honestly, the, and I, I didn't have like any aggravation over it, but honestly, all the prayers looked like just, Lord, raise up laborers, send evangelists into those, 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 those areas. Let it be the greatest opportunity for the gospel to be shed and to be spread in France. And I just, I felt like the Lord come upon me. I, I, I don't even know if it was the Lord, but it was strong. And I, I went right to the story of when Jesus asked his disciples to pray and watch. And I started talking about impulsive behavior. I talk a lot about this in sermons. Because I feel like even what we see here in Matthew chapter 26 is simply just impulsive behavior. You know, we often think that there would be greater use of our time that we would be more affected by just go, effective by going and evangelizing a broken region or whatever, just sharing the gospel of Christ. But what about prayer? You know, Jesus in his moment and of hour didn't say, hey guys, there's a group of religious people that want to take my life. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah, every, they want to stone me. They're trying to find ways to kill me. Have you noticed? Could a couple of you guys go down there and kind of set the story straight? Maybe just you know, preach some of my, 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 my messages I've given you, you know, I'm trying to convert them, try to evangelize them. No, Jesus doesn't do that. What does Jesus do? He says, stand with me and pray. <laughs> and I tell you, what impulsive behavior really looks like, how it's illustrated in Scripture, is going to lop somebody's ear off because now somebody has your best friend by the arm. Sink! That's what impulsive behavior looks like. When all the while, you should have just gone to the garden and prayed with Jesus. See, we so reduce, really, the tools. And I'm not saying in any way, don't go evangelize. Don't go share the gospel. We are just as responsible to do that. But I've heard more noise come out of evangelism and evangelists than I've heard of any good. And sometimes Jesus is just saying, no, Wait with me. Pray with me. Watch with me. I don't know why I got on that tangent. It has nothing to do with my message. Is everybody all right? I'm not mad. I'm actually very happy. I got a young six-year-old. Got a beautiful wife. I was worshiping. I don't know where she is right now. But we're happy. Just want to... Is that guy mad? No, I'm just passionate. You know, uh, Jesus and the disciples were generally marveled, not by their intellect, marveled by the, the, the onlookers, like people were like, oh my God, I've never, I've never heard preaching like that. Not because they were uh, entirely altogether intellectually, or they had just this smooth lingo and smooth talk, you know, to give. They were more stunned by just their approach, kind of raising of their voices. Up to that point, I'm sure 
preaching just went like, and the Gospel of Matthew says. And here comes these boisterous guys. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. And everyone's like, ah! Cultural shock. And so I just, you know, kind of equate that to my approach to ministry. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I get happy about the Bible. I get happy about life. I get happy about the truth. And sometimes... It just comes out. And so Matthew 24 kind of gives us or illustrates for us what the days will look like at the time of Matthew 25. Essentially, where foolishness and wisdom will be pervasive in the church amongst the people of God. And so let's read chapter, um, verse 2 of 25 as we go on. So the kingdom of God will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. <laughs> but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Let's stop now. Don't unplug, uncheck, because I mean, you know, again, if you're not privy with the language and you're not privy in, 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 with the parable, then you can get a little bit scared. Well, are we talking about olive oil now? Like, how do we go from, like, perilous times to, like, the end of days to, like, people being persecuted uh, to olive oil, <laughs> okay? You know, these things, and of course some of us know, but these things are only, like, they speak of other facets of both our inward man and our, the outcome of our, some of our decisions, in other words, when the Bible says lamps, it's not meaning a literal lamp. It means our hearts, okay? When the Bible talks about olive oil, it's not real olive oil. It, it, it is the Holy Spirit. I mean, whenever you look in Scripture and you equate oil, you equate it and you find that it has to do with Holy Spirit. Third man in the Trinity, pretty important. If you don't know him... I'd encourage you to get to know him. He's, he's part of the triune God. It just doesn't say God the Father, Jesus the Son, and stop there. It says God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the person, Holy Spirit. He's a person. And so these things, without getting into too much detail for the sake of time, are just kind of speaking of other things that, honestly, if you do study them, you can make the connections fast. And so we see that lamps have to do with hearts, Oil has to do with Holy Spirit, okay? I don't know about you, but I need the Holy Spirit, right? And the difference here between these foolish girls, I want to say virgins, but that might scare some of you, and these wise bridesmaids, <laughs> I'm just having fun, um, was that five were foolish and only took enough or what was necessary to take and five were wise and took more than they needed. And consequently, because the bridegroom, which is a metaphor for Jesus, in the scripture you find that the bridegroom is always Jesus, as scripture would tell it in parables and in teaching. When the bridegroom was delayed, there was only five who had enough oil to go and meet him. Okay, now, what's important to understand is when you give yourself to studying ver chapter 25 in the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins, you see that 
um, something for me that I saw in the first time, for the first time, excuse me, was that all of these virgins became drowsy, right? The text would say this in verse 5. It says this. Sorry. But the other five were wise enough to take along with extra oil, with them extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, when Jesus was delayed, they all became drowsy. They all did. So we can't exactly contribute in this area of drowsiness, wisdom to the five wise virgins. We can't necessarily say that that was part of the story here. They failed. Actually, if you study the word uh, drowsy in the Hebrew, you find that it means to neglect or become careless. And so what we have to conclude here is that all five were in danger of neglecting something and became, because of that neglect, careless. So you've got to lump them all together, (laughs) you know, even though this is a story of wisdom and foolishness, this is a parable of, of what foolishness will look like in the days of Matthew chapter 24, and what wisdom will look like in the days of Matthew 24. Okay, I understand there's a lot here, and I'm trying to just like cram it into 32 minutes so that your ADD mind and my ADD mind can stay focused. <laughs> I put myself there. ADD, I think that's the right, you know, short attention span thing. But drowsy mean, drowsiness means here in the Hebrew to neglect and to become careless. How many can quickly identify that when it comes to their spiritual walk? When it becomes, now I'm not talking like when, what your brothers, you know, see of you, what your sisters think of you. Oh, it's the hot guy, such an anointed man. But what really God says of you. We understand that last Sunday we talked about having a reputation, right? That was the problem in Revelations of the church of Sardis. Is they had a reputation of being something, but Jesus felt differently about that reputation. So I'm talking about not what others would say about you, not what others see in you, but what do you see when the doors are closed and nobody's watching? Because ultimately that attests to who you are. I'm, not, I'm just trying to be real because we have to understand that these ten virgins were all professing believers. See, the larger picture of this is that Jesus was telling them, be watchful because being watchful will better prepare you when times need preparation. Okay. Whoop. But anyway, okay, let's get back to the story, right? Okay, we're not going to get too far ahead of ourselves. Oh, Lord Jesus. Whoa. Mm. Okay, so... Hebrew word defined, drowsy, means to neglect. We've got to lump all ten of these women together. They, have be, they had became drowsy. They, have be, they had became neglectful. Again, just to kind of solidify my point about these two chapters primarily being about watchfulness, both concluding uh, points that Jesus makes in Matthew 4, uh, 24, 42, is this. So too, um, so you too must keep 
Watch, for you do not know the day of the Lord's coming. And then Matthew 25, 13. Also the concluding uh, statement after the parable of the five wise virgins is, Watch, therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour. And so, in this parable, Jesus clearly paints the picture that these believers, these bridesmaids, had fallen asleep. And therefore, the, the, uh, the repercussions were that they had um, neglected and became careless when they should have been watching. They should have been alert. They should have been attentive. Eyes open. And again, I'm not talking about in the sense that we are all here today. And hopefully I see a couple people nodding off. Yeah, wake up. I see you. No, I'm just joking. I, I don't see anybody. It's just, just a joke. Listen, I mean... Okay. Not in the sense of literally sleeping. Jesus paints the picture of these bridesmaids becoming drowsy spiritually. Okay. Again, both were foolish. So, quickly, in um, 25 of the same chapter, verse 5, Read this again. Verse 5 of chapter 25. It says, When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fall asleep. You know, this still puzzles me, and I hope to just bring a little bit more clarity. It puzzles me because if Jesus was addressing watchfulness in these chapters, right, and then giving a parable, right, about preparedness in Matthew 25, I, I somehow want to make the connection of why, you know? And I, I understand that not all of you are, are tracking with me, but let me try to frame it this way. Um, you know, in, in, in thinking about this and giving close attention to it, I came to understanding that watchfulness directly affects preparedness and betters the results of all circumstances when being prepared matters the most. Let me read that again. Watchfulness directly affects preparedness and betters the result of all circumstances when being prepared matters the most. Take with me, for example, if you were, Jesus' words in Luke chapter 12, verse 56. He says, Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, When you see the clouds being formed in the west, you say, Here comes a shower. <laughs> right? And you're right. What do we do when it rains? We don't necessarily take our kids to the park. We prepare. It's an indoor day. Let's play Wii U. That's what we do at our home. Um, and then he goes on to say, and you are right, when the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher. And you are right. Now, Jesus doesn't conclude by accusing them for being watchful in that area. He kind of gets pretty peppy and says, hey, listen, you know how to interpret through watchfulness the patterns of weather. If you're going to go to the beach or stay home, you know how to do this, but when it comes to discerning things that I'm doing, when it comes to interpreting things that are happening presently, and he wasn't just saying, uh, you know, what's happening amongst nations or what's happening in politics or what's happening in, you know, your latest sports 
favorite team, you know, record. He's not talking about that. He's talking about things that concern him, that concern the Bible. And he says, listen, you're so watchful in that area, but, but you need to give a little bit more attention to this area. <laughs> you, need to, you need to apply those same kind of behaviors, not just when it comes to the weather, but when it comes to what I'm doing, present things that I'm doing and want to do. And so think about it. Pretty easy. Watchfulness directly affects preparedness, which makes it all the more sense why Jesus would conclude in Matthew 25 with a parable about being prepared. (laughs) You're like, why are you shouting, dude? I get it. Stop yelling at me. No. Makes all the difference in the world, you know, when we're actually attentive and alert and awakened and eyes open. But what's going on? It helps us to be better prepared. It helps us, like these five wise girls, bring extra oil when extra oil was needed. You see, the problem with the five foolish virgins were they were satisfied. They, they were comfortable. <laughs> and, and they didn't see the need to store up and to be prepared. And, and really, the call in Matthew 25, where it's suddenly the bridegroom steps back onto the scene, is a call that much is needed here in this room today and amongst Christian believers. You see, the summons wasn't necessarily a summons just for the sake of raising his voice. The summons was like, wake up! <laughs> Go unto him! And you know, they all went to them, went to him, didn't they, in this parable? And I'm trying to fast track here to get some, we're, we're almost at 12, this is ridiculous, what happened at the time? They were all, they all had oil, they all became drowsy, but when the call, when the charge was given to go unto him, only five girls could go into that place. And what were the others doing at that time? frantically looking around. Give, do you have any extra oil? Give me, give me some oil. Give me some oil. Okay, okay, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go to the store. I gotta get this. Okay, but, but it's, he's calling. He, he, he wants us to go unto him. Okay, uh, but we gotta get oil. So they go away and they try to buy oil for themselves. Let's read it after verse five. At midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out. So right there we see in scripture, they're all drowsy and all of a sudden a charge comes out. He's here. Go unto him. Suddenly, all ten, okay, okay, but consequently, only five are ready. They all needed to be awakened. They all needed to be startled and brought out of that neglectful, careless walk. I'm trying to fast track it. This is just uh, injustice to this message. In verse 7, all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps The five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go and shop and buy for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Now again, without taking too much out of context, what primarily this text is about, it's about Jesus' coming. 
okay? I'm not trying to make it about something else. That is the focus. I'm more just catching and trying to put in focus the heart of both the parable in 25 and the message in the parables in 24 of watchfulness and preparedness. I really don't know how to wrap this up in it's Bethany's turn next Sunday, which I'm sure that pleases a lot of you. Although she's a yeller. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Let's summarize here. Let's, let's bring it to a closing here. This is what I would say. Jesus in Luke chapter 12, 35 said this, Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning always. This isn't something, friend, that we come in and out of. This isn't, this isn't something that we choose to do one day and turn off the next day. As believers, you have to understand really the parallel between the foolish virgins and the wise. They were all believers, but one or five of the ten only had a form. (laughs) They in no way were ever um, going to feel that need or that sense of wanting more. They were comfortable and became at ease and laxed in their faith. And the five, consequently, were also lazy and neglectful. But yet, when the call was given, they were the ones that woke and were prepared for that call. To go into that place with the Lord before the door shut. And the command here in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, trying to be quick, but doing an entirely disservice to the conclusion of this message. We are summoned by Jesus to always be dressed for service. And to not just be dressed, but to keep oil in our lamps. This is not optional. This is not something that we choose to do only on Sundays. This is some thing that we do all the time. And let me just go a little bit farther to say this. If you do not find yourself doing it all the time, the consequences are far more drastic than you just not doing it all the time. It is really a test or speaks of the genuineness of your faith. Let's not mince any words. That's what Jesus is saying here in this parable. There was five who had a form, five who didn't. The call needed to go forth. They all awoken, but five were ready because their form or their religion was true. It was real. And instead of becoming satisfied, they stored up for themselves extra oil. God, I don't even know. Man. Too much on those announcements, Michelle. Jeez. Listen, let's have a time of prayer. Will, can you come up and give us some... 
I'm sorry, guys. I, I probably went too, into too many stories that I shouldn't have said. That whole thing on uh, impulsive behavior probably wasn't necessary. <laughs> I don't know. Just, yeah, there's just something. Just like when we sing songs, we just don't need to stick to the paper and the words, you know? Sometimes we have to just speak, you know, what the Spirit is. But, uh, you know, we only have a short time left to our being together. Hey, listen, you know, I got to constantly, the Bible says, never be found lacking zeal. Paul gave that charge to the Romans in, in chapter 12 of Romans. He said, never be found, never be caught lacking zeal. Never be caught lacking passion, essentially, for Jesus. And really, the whole issue is over that, isn't it? Are we just going in and out of the emotions and services and nice songs and decent music and decent preaching? Or is it real inside of us? Can you stand? I'm, honestly, my charge today, can you stand confidently today in this place knowing that you are in line or you are in step with Romans chapter 12, verse 5? Never be found lacking zeal. Friend, if you're not... I would encourage you to get in that place, to lock in with the Lord, to stop playing games. Some of you young people need to hear me. You need to stop squandering your years and, and, and thinking that, you know, coolness or, or relevance is what you see on the television screen and your best friend's news feeds. You're going to find yourself empty. You're going to find yourself wandering Some of you college students think you're so smart. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Sorry. You are smart. You're a lot smarter than me. <laughs> Thank you for grace, Jesus. A tempered tongue. <laughs> Listen, our only hope is not in our education and not in our social lives and our little status quo at high school what others think of us, how we dress, you know. It's in Jesus, and we're commanded, we're instructed to never be found lacking zeal. We are encouraged to always be dressed for service and to keep our lamps burning always. Listen, if you feel like you struggle and you have a hard time, much like me, keeping your lamp lit. I want you to come and respond to Jesus today. I don't want to pray for you. As a matter of fact, I want to throw myself into this altar call because I understand that Jesus doesn't mince words here. He gives me a charge. He tells me, son, dress yourself for battle. Stop making excuses for not being dressed and not being prepared. I've given you everything you need in my word, in my son, to be prepared. If that's you, if you feel unprepared, if you feel like you're constantly just going through impulse to impulse, from behavior to behavior, from emotion to emotion, I want you to respond to this altar call. I want to just start building and say, God, we're taking a stand today. We're taking a stand today to have zeal in our hearts, alive, and, 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 and be... A very bad thing if we ever are caught 
by another brother or sister or by the Holy Spirit himself lacking zeal. Come on, if you're confident today, it's fine. You can sit in your seat. Honestly, I don't need anybody to respond today. My desire is that you would. But you know what? If it's just an emotional response, then don't respond. (laughs) But if it's something of a concrete decision, then run to this altar. You don't have to be concerned about what your friends think about you. You should be more concerned about what Jesus says of you. Your wives, your spouse, your boyfriends, your husbands. Come on, guys. You understand? That in light of eternity, those things are vain. Those things are empty and will only last for a while. The interesting thing enough, that interesting thing about Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, is he said, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, that Christ may give you life. You, you understand, we have a part to play. Our part to play is, our part to do is to awake and to rise from our sleeping. And it's in that context that Jesus fills us with light. Why? Because he has the power. It says in John chapter 5 verse 26 that the same life-giving power that resides in God the Father, he has given it to Christ the Son. And so he has both the power to raise those who are sleeping in the grave and even raise your dead hearts and your, your sleep spirits. Come on. You pull upon Jesus and you see if he might be true to his words and fill your light, your life with light. God, we're all done playing games. Father, I ask, Lord, that you'd consecrate us. Jesus, consecrate us in this this, this altar call, Father. We don't want to just give words and respond uh, half-heartedly and emotionally, God. We, we want the truth of God inside of us. We want the light of Christ inside of us. The light that Scripture says only produces what is good and right and godly and righteousness. Do you understand that that is the light inside you today? This light only produces what is right, good, and righteous. Awake. Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead. That Christ may give you light. Do you want light today? Come on. We have a lot of foolish Christians out there thinking they have a light because of some reputation or some thoughts that maybe friends have about them. But what does Jesus say about you? What happens when those doors close and nobody's looking? Come on. Do business with God. He already knows. Confess your sins that you might be healed. Come on. There is a healing anointing in this place right now. There is something where God is going to give us victory. Pull on him. Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead. This is Jesus' charge to us, church.